Well, hey, it's good to see you guys. Um, I see some folks we haven't seen in a while. Um, see also some folks we haven't seen ever, <laughs> which is awesome. I want to say welcome. One of the things that Calvary Church loves to do um, is worship in the park. We love getting outside of our building, coming down here, and um, getting to do this this first time this year, uh, this new year, and having such a beautiful day is pretty awesome, isn't it? One of the challenges, and I've already said this a few times, we always do say it, of, about being out here is just you never know what's going to happen. And the weather, the wind, the chaos, the kids, people driving by, music, you never know what you're going to get. And that's fine. Right? And that's fine. God has given us a beautiful day, and I just want to thank Him. I want to thank um, the Lord for what He's given us. For bringing us to where we are today and, and for loving us um, enough to call us to be in this place today. The word convict, convict, right, is one of those words we don't or don't like. You are convicted, guilty. On the other hand, for the believer, the word conviction is a word that we may find ourselves uncomfortable with, but one that if we are in Christ and we are following him and seeking to live a godly life, it's a word that we actually really like. Conviction is the thing that causes in us, in believers, if you are a believer, or if you're not a believer yet, conviction also can cause you to come to Christ. And for that reason, conviction is a beautiful thing. Today we are going to be in John chapter 16, and you could probably guess we are going to be talking about conviction today. Where does conviction come from? So I want to read for us John chapter 16, starting in verse 4. If you've got a Bible, I invite you to turn there. If you've got it on your phone, there's no place you got it, then go there. But Donald, Donald, look at you funny. Um, but we want to be a people who are in the Word. We want to be a people who are about the Word. We're going to see that today as well, just as a, as a heads up. John 16, starting in verses 4 and going to 15. Jesus said, I did not say these things to you from the beginning, because I was with you. But now I'm going to him who sent me, and none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage. Who say that again? Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Verse 12, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. 
When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority. But whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Now I just want to give you all and all of me a reminder, maybe you haven't been with us, but we've been working our way through the book of John, and as we come into chapter 16, what we know is we're kind of coming towards the end of Jesus' life. In fact, in just a little while, he's going to be arrested and taken away. So when he's talking here about being taken away, about going, he's talking about something that is very close, very imminent. And one of the things that you may notice here is their response. And I would expect the same response from all of us in a fashion. Right, it says right in verse uh, 5 and 6, But now I'm going to him who sent me, and none of you asks, where are you going? Verse 6, But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. How many of you, if you've spent the last three years walking around, walking and hanging out with Jesus, would find yourself sorrowful at the thought that he was leaving? I would hope all of us would. I would hope that in, in a sense, all of us would. The thing is, for the disciples in this moment, we need to see this before we go any further, is that this is going to distract them from everything else that Jesus is about to say. If you jump ahead just a little bit to verse 20, this is what we're not covering today. Scott's going to be hitting on this next week. Here's what it says in verse 20. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. What's happening for the disciples right now is that as they are thinking about Jesus being, being gone, they're sorrowful, and what that causes in them is, is they're missing everything he's saying. They're so focused on their grief that they're not going to hear anything about the Holy Spirit right now. And church, I want to ask the question, what would be missing if Jesus had stayed? If Jesus had had died and, and then come back from the dead and then carried on for the next 2,000 some odd years to 2020. 21? We're 21 now, aren't we? <laughs> <laughs> it was a bad year. We just tried to forget it. Right? What would be missing had Jesus not left? The Holy Spirit. Conviction. Amen. We got some right answers in this place. That's what would be missing if Jesus had stayed. So if the disciples had gotten what they wanted and Jesus said, well, you know what? I see your sorrow, so I'm just going to spare you from that pain. We would be missing something really important. Today what we're going to talk about is first the necessity of Jesus going. And those startling words that, that it is to our advantage that he be gone. I have a hard time with that. To think that, like, if Jesus wasn't right, it was right here with me, it would, would be worse, right? Instead, 
We're going to look then to the role that the Holy Spirit plays in the world. Now, this is going to look a bit bigger picture than where we saw just a number of weeks ago as we looked, and we saw what, Jesus, what the Holy Spirit's role was in our personal lives as helper and as comforter. So what are the advantages, what is the advantage of Jesus going? Right, verse 7, those startling words, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. Church, it's actually better for us that Jesus isn't here. An advantage is something better, right? What possible advantage could there be? I mean, how many times have you, how many times have I wished that we could have the relationship with Jesus that Peter had? Or maybe even better, the relationship that Mary had with Jesus, right? This intimate friendship with Jesus. How much better if we could speak with Jesus like John did, the disciple whom Jesus loved, right? Well, let me suggest something to you. If that is a thought that you dwell on very often, if that is a thought that you dwell on fairly regularly, if that is a thought that you actually even have, then you are not experiencing the relationship with the Holy Spirit that you were supposed to. Because it is better that Jesus be gone and that the Spirit be in our lives. Do you hear that? Do you hear that? It is better that the Spirit be here rather than Jesus. Why? Why? Well, the Bible talks a lot about this. If you begin to read through the Old Testament, you start discovering that, especially as you get to the prophets. Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34, which I'm not going to read for you, begins talking about this. Okay? Ezekiel 36, 24 through 26, sorry, Ezekiel 11, 19 through 20, says this. I will give them one heart and a new spirit I will put within them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them and they shall be my people and I will be their God. The spirit comes and we get a new heart from stone to flesh, from death to life and we become the people of God. Ezekiel 36, 24 through 27 says, I will take you from the nations. I will gather you from all the countries. I will bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you and I will give you again a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. The spirit is a gift that causes us to have new hearts. It causes the word of God to be written on them in such a way that we can now be a people who do what God wants us to do. Instead of just always apologizing after the fact for not. 
Ezekiel 37, verses 11 through 14. This comes right after the vision of the dry bones. I don't know if you remember this story. But Ezekiel is kind of swept off in this vision to this valley, and all around him, I mean, maybe millions of just dead bodies, bones dried up in nothing. The, what you think of the spoil of a great war after years have gone by and the bones have been picked clean. In that vision, the Lord tells Ezekiel to prophesy, to speak this truth to them that, that the flesh would come and that they would be given new hearts. And this is what it says in verses 11 and 14. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. And I will bring you into the land of Israel, and you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. Verse 14, And I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live. And I will place you in your own land, and you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, I will do it, declares the Lord. Church, the coming of the Spirit is of more advantage to us than if Jesus had stayed. Now, on a practical level, just think about this. Pray. Jesus in his earthly body could be in one place at one time. You realize when you read the Gospels, Jesus is, in, is never in two places at once. But the Spirit of God is simultaneously in every believer's heart at the same time. I had a pastor once who was so busy and had so many people that he was shepherding that if you wanted to sit down with him for an hour, you had to schedule it four to six weeks in advance. Now, if you had an emergency, he was there. Okay, so don't think that he wasn't loving his people really well. But how much Jesus time would you get if you had to share him with all the rest of the believers and the non-believers who are in the process of coming to Jesus? None. None. Right? I mean, the entire course of our lives we can expect half of one millisecond. Right? And yet, we are a people in whom God is living. The Spirit of God has come and dwells inside of us. When we need God time, what do we do? We pray. We sit down with the Word. We sit down with other believers. Where two or three are gathered, there I am also with you. So practically speaking, it only makes sense that it is better that Jesus would go and the Spirit would come. In Joel 28-29, Peter quotes these verses. He says, It shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. Jesus, or Paul, or wow, Peter, Peter, that's the right name. Peter quotes these verses 
on Pentecost, the day that the Spirit was given to the church, as he walked out and he preached to untold thousands and 5,000 people came to Christ. It is an advantage that the Spirit would be here living in us. But only, but only if the Spirit's actually with us. But only if we actually turn to the Spirit. Some of us treat the Spirit like the Spirit is Jesus in one place at one time. Oh, the Spirit, God, too busy for me right now. But he is in all places. He is in all times. Church, we see in Jesus the limitation of his human side. The same limitations that we would have in loving our neighbors. We can only do so much. But in the Spirit, we have access to Jesus 24 7, 365 days for whatever span of years we may live. Now, in chapter 14 of John, we saw the role of the Spirit. It says, These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to you remembrance all that I have said to you. We look there to the, this, this role that the Holy Spirit plays in us as this helper, this counselor, this one who's teaching us, either individually or, or, or in group and corporate. But here in our passage today, we're going to see a different side of the Spirit. So starting in verse 8, what we see is that the Holy Spirit convicts the world. Right? The Holy Spirit convicts the world. Let me read this these few verses again for us. It says, When he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Now we need to know two things to start off our understanding of this passage. The first is, what does Jesus mean when John records this word, the world, what does he mean by that? Well, think about John and think about how it's used in maybe John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten Son, that whoever would believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. In John 3.16, the world is everybody. It's everybody, right? It is those who do believe or who will believe, and it's those who don't believe it's the world and it's used in the same way in John chapter 16 the spirit's role in the world is to convict it and that brings us to a question about what that word convict means are we on the courtroom trial the the guilty verdict has has happened and the holy spirit comes and convicts us Right, declares that guilt and sends off to punishment. Or are we talking about conviction? That revealing in our lives to our hearts and our minds that all is not well, that all is not right. 
Well, if the only thing the Spirit convicted was sin, the first of those actually would make sense, right? However, it doesn't leave it there. The Holy Spirit convicts sin. It also convicts righteousness and judgment. And that should lead us to see, as we consider this, what John is, is recording Jesus said, right? What, what does Jesus say? He's saying that the Holy Spirit is the one whose role it is to lead to conviction the whole world. And that's a good thing. If you are a believer, you know that the, 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 the feeling, the, the spirit of conviction in our lives is actually the thing that led us to salvation in the first place. But there was a moment where we suddenly realized the sin in our lives, that, that we had erred, we had strayed, that we had not done things God way, God's ways, and we should. And we suddenly realized that we are sinful people. That is conviction. That is conviction. And it is to our advantage that we would feel it. It is to our advantage that we would feel it. Some of us, we want to avoid conviction at all costs. For some of us, that means that we will drug ourselves or drink ourselves into a stupor so that we might not hear or feel that spirit. It might mean that we cause ourselves to be so distracted and busy in life that we never sit down and pause long enough that the spirit might speak and say to you, all is not well. Conviction. We see three ways the Spirit leads us in conviction in this. The first is in sin. Verse 8. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin. Church, it is the Holy Spirit's role to reveal and convict sin. It is the Holy Spirit's role. And let me just say this. No wonder, we've been, if you've been with us the last few weeks, we've been reading about how the world's going to hate us. Right? The world's going to hate hated Jesus. The, whole, the world's going to hate us. Why? Well, this is the answer right here. This is the answer. Why does the world hate Jesus? Why does the world hate us? Because where we are, the Spirit is, right? And where the Spirit is, there is conviction. Where Jesus was, there was the Spirit. And where the Spirit is, there is conviction. Why does the world hate Jesus? Because of the conviction that comes from the presence of the Holy Spirit. Why will the world hate us? The same thing. It's a common thing. A very common thing that I hear as a pastor, as I talk to people. It's happened to me a few times. It happened to my wife and I as we were getting ready to get married. Suddenly, People in our lives who we had never said one word about their living situation. People that we had never ever said or suggested in any way that, that because they were living together outside of the bounds of marriage, we were judging them because we had decided to do things God's way. Because we had decided that we were going to get married and not do things the way of the world. We never said a word. And yet, we were judging. It happened over and over. This happens all the time. Right? By making the choices that we have been, we make because God has called the Christian to something different. The world looks as though you're judging me. Well, no. Do your own thing. That's fine. 
I'm going to do my thing. Because my thing is the Lord's thing, right? Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is conviction. What does conviction in sin look like? Or what does it feel like? The first thing that, that may come is guilt and shame. Right? There's a moment when in our lives we know the thing we're supposed to be doing, we realize we haven't been doing that thing, and we feel bad. We feel like we are, we are in the wrong place. So along with that comes, at least in my life, what I say is a heaviness. It's the weightiness. Kind of like I'm being crushed. When the Spirit is convicting me, of sin. Another thing you might experience is regret. Well, I wish I hadn't done. Right? One of the things that can often happen when we are a Christian who is living in a season of conviction, because we are living in a season of sin, is that those things that we have enjoyed become bland or a burden to us. One of those things is church itself. One of those things is being in the Word of God. Because when we're living in sin and the Holy Spirit is convicting us, the joy comes out of the things of God. It's one of the ways that you can know that you are in a season of conviction is because whereas previously you loved come to church or to Bible study or to gather with the believers in some way or to read your Bible or to pray or to whatever it is that you do in your experience of the Lord, suddenly you're like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. That's because you're living in conviction and you don't want to hear it yet. You don't want to admit it yet. Remember though, it is to our advantage that we would feel conviction. It is to our advantage. For without the Spirit, none of us would have come to Christ in confession of sin and the need of salvation. Conviction is the very thing that leads us to salvation. Conviction is the very thing that will lead the world, the people around us, those people that we love, also to salvation. And that comes through the Spirit. Conviction is good. It leads to salvation. Jesus expounds on this a little bit, though. He, in verse 9, brings up this idea that, that he convicts sin because they do not believe, right? He looks at this one thing and he says, look, I, I convict because they don't believe. Nobody out there believes. And church, I want to extend to you the idea that the primary sin is the sin of unbelief. The sin of unbelief. This is the sin that leads to all the other malices and those sorts of things. To not believe is the root of most of, if not all of our troubles. Think about it. Not believing in the salvation that comes only through Jesus, we are left to our own, to wander through life and into death with no hope. Not believing that God's ways are better than the world's ways. This is the one that gets us a lot. Hear this, church. God's version of sex is better than the world's. What the world says about it is a shadow of the glory of what God says about it and is meant for it. God's version of work. For most of us, we spend a lot of time work doing work. What what God says about work is better than what the world says about work. And yet we are people who so often buy the world's version rather than God's version. We do not believe that God's ways are better. 
<laughs> One of the things we also disbelieve is that God's version of how we are to use our resources like time, money, and talents is better than the world's. Right? God tells us to steward these things, to use them in the glory of him and the, the benefit of others. The world tells us, hey, go spend what you want on your own desires. Do you struggle with unbelief? Not just that God exists or doesn't exist, or that he saved us or not, but that his ways are better than the world's ways. Christian, let me ask you a question. Do you ever pray for conviction? Do you welcome conviction of sin in your life? This is one of those dangerous prayers. This is one of those prayers that when you pray it, look out. So it's funny, I prayed that prayer this morning. I mean, I had to as I was working through this. And Don earlier revealed what the Lord revealed to me. That my heart has been somewhere else. My mind, my energy, my focus. For real. The Spirit convicted me. I said, all right, I can preach a message on conviction today. We're experiencing it today. It's going to be great. Okay. Church, I want to challenge you this week to pray for conviction. Because it's a good thing. Jesus says it's to our advantage. Right? It's to our advantage. All right, the next thing the Spirit leads us in conviction in is righteousness. It is righteousness. Look at me with verse 8 again. It says, When he comes, you will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they do not believe. Verse 10, concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Righteousness is the right way to go and to be. To be righteous, if you could be righteous, would be to be the very picture of Jesus. And the Spirit is the one that convicts us to live that way. Apart from the Spirit, we would be people floundering around in the dark. We would have no idea which way to go or what to do. But because the Spirit is with us, the Spirit is telling us what to do and where to go and who to be. The reason this is so concerning, and Jesus points this out in verse 10, is because the very picture of righteousness is leaving. Because here's the thing, if Jesus were right here with us, right? If we actually and he had enough time to spend with us, and we could walk in life with him, you, I gotta be honest, do you know how I, I think it would, would help with righteousness? Right? You'd be like, I'm just gonna do what he does. Like I'm gonna mimic him perfectly. I'm just gonna copy him. It's gonna be that annoying six-year-old that just keeps copying you. Because he'd be right there. But here's the thing. Jesus says it actually is to our advantage that the Spirit be the one that leads us in righteousness. That the Spirit would lead us in righteousness. Church, the trouble is, for you and I, righteousness is impossible in this life. It's impossible. That does not mean we shouldn't strive for it, right? Jesus says pursue it. But we will never do it perfectly. There is only one who has done it perfectly, and that is Jesus Christ. 
So what is the Spirit's role in convicting of righteousness? First of all, I think it means that it, he lead, it, the Spirit leads us in doing and being right, in doing the things we're supposed to do. But when that doesn't happen, and I know, you know, we're not going to make it through the end of today without some level of this not happening. For that, we must look to Christ. Romans 4, 5. And to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that he might, that we might become the righteousness of God. The Bible teaches this crazy thing. That even if we are not righteous, that's okay. Because Christ is. And Christ gives us his righteousness. It's, it's called imputed righteousness. And it is his gift to us. What's the Spirit's role in that? The Spirit's role in that is to convince Daniel that you have been given that gift. The Spirit's role is to tell us, to speak to us in our hearts in our minds, that this gift is actually effective and true. It is to point us to Jesus constantly. So that in those moments when we have messed up, when we have broken our relationship, and we have sinned, the Spirit's role is first of all to convict us in sin, right? Points that sin out, and then what does the Spirit do? The Spirit speaks comfort to our hearts. That we are still right with the Lord. When the Spirit convicts in righteousness, it is the Spirit speaking to us, reassuring us that our salvation is still intact. That there is nothing that will separate us from the love of God. Amen? So the Spirit says to the believer, yes, you are a sinner, but in Christ you have been made righteous. But to the one who is still in unbelief, the one who is apart from Christ, the Spirit, says something else to you. Let's look at verse 11. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Church, what you need to know, and if you don't know Jesus, then you really need to know this. That the third role of the Spirit in convicting the world is judgment. It is the Spirit that speaks that judgment. It's the Spirit that speaks that judgment to the believer that says, look, this is what you would have apart from Christ. And it is the Spirit that speaks that judgment to those who are not in Christ. That judgment is coming. It says that Judgment is concerning the ruler of this world who will be judged. Who is the ruler? Satan, the devil, the enemy, the ruler of this world. You should know that the, the Greek here is what's called in the perfect tense. And what that means is that he has been and is and will be judged forever. There will never be a time for the rest of eternity where the devil will not be in active judgment by the Lord. That's a scary thought. But it's also a great thought for those of us who have found ourselves in Christ. Friends, who wins in the end in the great cosmic battle? 
Jesus does, who has already won. Jesus, right? Revelation 20.10. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. The victory is won. Judgment has been proclaimed. It is already in effect, and it will last forever. Judgment is coming. The Spirit convicts of righteousness and tells those of us who are found in Christ's righteousness that victory has come, that we have won, that in Christ we have won. And the Spirit convicts as far as the ruler of this world and judgment, but not only him. Revelation 20, 11 through 15. Then I saw a great white throne, and him whose seat was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. And this is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. This is the bad news of the gospel. For the good news in Christ that we can be saved, there is the bad news that there are those who will not be. There are those who will not come to salvation, who will not listen to the conviction of the Spirit that leads them to confess and to repent and leads through to righteousness, but rather they will be people who will be led into judgment. Those who would keep Satan as their Lord and Savior will get the same judgment as their Lord and Savior. But we, in Christ, who have made Christ our Lord and Savior, we are led to life, eternal, forever. And that actually leads us to the second role of the Spirit that we see in this passage. Right, the first was the conviction of the world. The second is that the Holy Spirit teaches the church. Okay, the Holy Spirit teaches the church. Look at me at verse 12. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare to you all that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The Spirit convicts the world, and that includes us, that includes the church. The Spirit also teaches the church. I'm really encouraged by this passage, I think you should be too. Because Jesus is looking at his disciples, right? He knows they're distracted. He knows that they're not really listening to him. And so he says, look, I, I've got a lot more to tell you. I've got many more things to tell you. But you cannot bear them now. Have you ever felt 
But you were in a place where you had just been growing and growing and you could not take any more in. Well, Jesus' disciples were in that place. They had neither the understanding nor the capacity to hear what he had to say. It wouldn't be until after the death of Christ and the resurrection that any of this would make sense anyway. And so Jesus says to them, I've got more I want to tell you, but you will not hear it now. You can't hear it now. So he says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he speaks, what he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. The spirit's role is to teach the church the things that Jesus had not yet taught the church. Now we see this first in those disciples, in those well, in the lives and the ministry of, of those 11 at this point men. And you add to that as, as he becomes an apostle, the apostle Paul, there was a role that was played by these first leaders, by these first men who traveled with Jesus. They were meant to be different. They were given a role that we are not given. That role was the writing of scripture, and it was the teaching of the church. It was the building of the church. So Jesus says, look, there's going to be many more things, many more things to come. And as you think about it, you, you get into the New Testament, and you think, man, where did Paul get everything that he wrote? We well, got it from the Spirit. Where did Peter get what he wrote? From the Spirit. Where did James get what he wrote? From the Spirit. Where did John get what he wrote? From the Spirit. The word of God comes to us is the very things that Jesus is pointing and says, look, the spirit is going to come and he is going to teach you and you are going to teach them. The church needs this, right? The church needs this. 1 Corinthians 2, verses 12 through 13. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. What we see is that this book is not just some good thoughts written by human people. It is the Word of God. It is the truths that He, that he laid, that God has laid out for us through the Spirit and the working of these individuals. They were in the spirit when they wrote it. Let me ask you a question. What spirit should you have in you when you read it? The spirit of God. The spirit of God. See, that's the second part of this. Right? The word of God comes and it comes to us now. And now we get the chance because the spirit lives in us to read this on our own. To interpret it correctly. There's a reason why in our men's Bible study, every single week we start off with a prayer. Holy Spirit, show us the true meaning. Show us this word. We, we paraphrase it differently each week. But the goal of the prayer of the week is to say, Lord, teach us what your word says. Help us to see it rightly. There's a reason why when we pray, whether it's Scott praying for me or me praying for them before the time of the message or me even just praying for the sermon time, is because we want the Holy Spirit to, to help us understand and hear. 
This is the role the Holy Spirit plays in the church to teach. To teach. And in doing so, what we discover here is that God is glorified. I love this phrase that, that happens here. I tried to write this as a whole third movement of the sermon, but we didn't have time. It says, He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare to you all that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Think about this. That the Holy Spirit has given this, and in doing this role, he, the Holy Spirit, glorifies God by speaking the truths of God to the people that need to hear them. Church, let me ask you, do you think it would glorify God if you then spoke the truths of God to the people that need to hear them? Yes. And that is our call as people who are full of the Holy Spirit because it is through the conduit of the believer that the Holy Spirit speaks the truth to those who need to hear it. Amen? We are called to that work that ministry. Let me tell you, if you are struggling in your faith right now, my guess is it's because you are lazy. Okay? My guess is it's because you're lazy. My guess is is, is that you are trying to figure out what it looks like to be a spirit-filled filled Bible-believing Christian that's living in this world. And you're not doing anything with it. Do you know what happens when the Spirit lives in us and we don't get to work in the Spirit's work, we struggle. We struggle. Because we are literally holding the Spirit back from the purposes of the Spirit working in us and through us. Amen? So church, the Spirit lives in us. It is better for us that the Spirit would be in us. Better that the Spirit would be here with us convicting us in sin and in righteousness and in judgment, and it is better that the Spirit be speaking and teaching the truth of God into our hearts and using us to teach those truths into the world. That the world might be convicted. Because conviction leads to what? Salvation. Conviction leads to salvation. Amen? Would you pray with me? God, as we come before your word today, I pray for conviction, not just in my own heart, but for every one of us. And I pray, Lord, that you would lead us to see what we need to do, what we need to be, and what we need to go and do for the sake of the Spirit that is living inside of us. I pray that you would help us and lead us today, guide us, Lord, into this world, that we would be the hands and feet, the, the, the mouth, Lord, as the Spirit works through us. So I also just want to pray right now that if there's anyone in this area right now who doesn't know you, who has not been found in your salvation, to trust in you and to believe in you, Lord, that they would, that they would find life. I pray, God, that you would, would your spirit would connect them, would, would lead them to then come find one of us to talk to about what it means to follow Jesus. And I pray, Lord, that your spirit would lead us to lead them well, to speak your truth. God, I thank you and we thank you and we praise you in your holy name. Amen.